This is the EWN Podcast Network. You are listening to Sharing Stories with Helen Rose. My guest today is Hyla Jane Esters, who has a really touching story And I'd love to tell you that the subject we're going to have today isn't relevant to today, but I think it really is. Hyla, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Helen. Thank you for inviting me. So let's just start out. So you were born in Missouri? Yes, St. Joseph, Missouri. St. Joseph, Missouri. Okay, so tell me your story, uh, what brought you your gift, because uh, it's quite an interesting journey. Well, when I was three years old, um, I was sitting in church and we, I grew up in the Methodist church and you can imagine at three years old, how boring it was for me. I enjoyed going outside to play. So I had to sit still. It wasn't, I wasn't in a family where they let the kids run all over the church like they do now. You had to sit still for an hour and a half every Sunday morning. And it was very difficult for me So with my mother making me sit still and my brothers and my sister, I listened to what the man up front was saying, which I found out later he was the pastor. So he would talk about God. And in a Methodist church, they have stained glass windows. So to entertain myself, I looked around at the windows. I found Jesus. I found Mary. Of course, Jesus is on the cross in one window. And in another window, his mother's holding him as a baby. I said, oh, well, okay. I saw the disciples, the lambs, but I couldn't find God. So for me, that was an interesting problem that had to be solved. And since I was a curious child, uh, at home, I decided to ask my mother, where's God? But it took a while because my mother had four children under four years old. My brother and sister were a set of twins. My oldest brother was three years older than me, and then here I come along. So when I was three, he was five. The twins were four. And so, of course, my mother was very busy. So it took a while for me to decide to go in and ask her, but the desire for me to know where God was became more uh, important and just grew until I just had to ask her. So... I, she was in the uh, dining room folding clothes, and I was supposed to sit still, watch TV, watch cartoons, right? Not to bother her. So I was really going against her wishes to even approach her, but I had to. So I walked in the dining room, and I said, Mama, can I ask you a question? And she said, yes. And I said, Mama, the, the man at church keeps talking about God, but I can't find him in the windows. Where is God? And she said, God is invisible. He's in heaven. And you can talk to him anytime you want. Well, that excited me. You know, first of all, that she would even answer me without sending me back to go sit down. And I figured God wasn't in the house because it was too big. And so I asked her if I could go outside. And to my amazement, she said, yes. So I went out in the yard and I found a place to sit. I looked up at the sky and I thought, well, what do you say to God? Now the thought never entered my head that he wouldn't speak to me because this is just something I had to know. And so I thought, well, the people at church say hello. So I looked up at the sky and I said, hello, God, how are you? And this voice surrounded me. And it said, the flowers are beautiful today, aren't they? I jumped, I turned around, I looked behind me. I thought somebody had walked up behind me. It was talking to me. Nobody was there. So I turned back around, I put my head down. I said, oh my goodness, God is talking to me. And it became my secret. It changed, you could say, it it guided my life. That moment right there changed my life guided my life. I lived a whole lifetime before I turned five years old. From that moment on, I knew about people. I could tell people were lying. I could see on their faces um, what they were thinking, really. Um, 
there were times when a person's face would turn gray and I didn't know what that meant, but three days later, the phone would ring at home and, and that person had passed away. Um, wow. I, I could feel things on people, all kinds yeah. of things. Do you think, I mean, at three, I mean, three is such a magical age and it's so curious. And I think I, I, I've had a similar experience, not when I was three, but when a three-year-old is that, you're open. You're open when you're three. You're no, you don't have those preconceived notions of anything yet that life throws up, as you're going to be talking about later. But I think you were so open to seeing God that it really did happen for you. It was a gift, wasn't it? When yes, you told it, your mom that, was she? What did it? What did it do to your mom when you told her? She was kind of matter of fact about it, as far as I could tell. I mean, when I thought about it. Uh, years later, she must have been sitting there in the dining room window just watching me. She yeah. must have known that God spoke to me because as I found out years later, she talked to God. And uh, she was healed of cancer when she was 26, stomach cancer. She was healed of spinal meningitis. Wow, so she my passed that was gift on to you. Yeah, my brother was in an accident and she she had moved to Des Moines, Iowa and she woke up in the middle of the night. The Holy Spirit said, your son's been in an accident. And she asked, is he alive? And he, he said, yes. And so she sat there and waited until the phone rang two o'clock in the morning. It was my oldest brother. And um, somebody had given him a Mickey, drove off a cliff, broke his neck. It was, but he, oh he, was, he was healed. He's fine because we believe in healing. And so... She she just knew things about us. You know, you know how, how they say mothers have eyes in the back of their head. Well, yep. <laughs> she, she did. She she knew what we were thinking. This is for what you're thinking, you know, and we yeah. get punished for what we're thinking to do. And <laughs> there's no use of you telling her you weren't th thinking yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Talk about being able to see the look on someone's face and what they've done and, and what they've managed to put themselves into for sure. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I love that. So then you move forward. And so you're going through life as a, did you have a good childhood? Whatever that means. Yeah. Um, before I started school, I did. I would play with, you know, at, at that time when that happened, my, my bro two brothers and sister, they were in school. And uh, I was at home for a year by myself because it wasn't time for me to go to kindergarten. They didn't have preschool back then. And so when it was time for me to go to kindergarten, it was uh, desegregation. And the, the black school, they told them, of course, they called us Negroes then, they told them to close the kindergarten class because I was the only one in the area, in that district, that would be five years old. I was the only one my age. And so they closed that class and I was to go to the white school. But when my mother called to register me, they didn't want me. And they said wow. uh, I couldn't come there. And she said, what am I supposed to do? I'm sitting there listening to her talking on the phone. And she said, what am I supposed to do? And they said, call the school district. So she called the school district and they told her that I had to go to the black school across town. And she said, well, how is she supposed to get there? We only had one car and my father used the car to go to work. And they said, I don't know, but it's against the law for her not to go to school. <laughs> yeah, but they wanted you to go across town. How? Across town. Yeah. And my mother at the time, someone asked me years later, you know, why didn't she ride the bus with you every day? And, and I, because I rode the bus alone. She went with me two times and showed me where to catch the city bus ride it across town, where to get off, walk up this big hill to go to school. And then after school, I walked down the hill and she said, you have to catch the bus on the opposite side of the street. So she showed me where to catch it and then where to get off. And then I walked three blocks home. So she rode with me two times. She talked to the bus driver and the bus driver said that I would need a note every day and I could sit behind him. He would watch me. So years later, someone asked me, well, why didn't she ride with you every day, you know? And well, my brother, my younger brother was born September 19th. She was nine months pregnant. Yeah, <laughs> That's why yeah. she couldn't do it. Yeah. So 
that when it was time for me to go to school that morning, she put my coat on me. It's September. And, you know, my little hat and gloves. And she said, Hyla Jane, can you do it? And I looked at her and I said, yes, Mama, I can do it. And she sent me out the back door. Now, you know, she had to have been praying for me. And by then I had my relationship with God and I never thought anybody would bother me. I never saw another adult walking those three blocks. Only one time at the bus stop, there was a couple there, a white couple. They looked at me and then turned their heads and looked the other way. I would get up on the bus and sit behind the driver and he knew my stop. And so he would wait there. I'd get off the bus. He, it was a busy street. So he would wait until I crossed the street. My mother taught me to look both ways, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'd walk up the big hill and go to school. And then at 12 o'clock, because it was half day, I'd ride the bus back home. And I did that for a year. It was like the postman. I did it through the, the rain, the snow, <laughs> tramping <laughs> through the snow. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> you know? I think the, the beauty in that story is that I mean, nowadays, you would never even entertain, A, leaving your four-year-old at home, and B, letting her ride across the city. And so, I mean, those were also gifts. I mean, we, you know, as kids, we, we have, we're in that generation where, yeah, we were at home and we made our own way. I used to bike, you know, five miles down to the beach when I was seven. I mean, none of that stuff really even, and I think what the beauty of it is, is that we didn't even know we were supposed to be not safe. You know what I mean? Like it just, right. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind you didn't of a, think about it. No. And so I have to ask you a question. When did you become aware? So you're at that bus stop with the, the white couple and they just look and turn their back, which it's like, Oh my God. But that's today because we have that awareness. Were you aware of any of this, of this segregation uh, at four, did you not? Oh, yeah, because I heard them say they didn't want me. You know, wow. that was my first uh, rejection. And you how know, that, they, do you remember if there, was there an awareness then? It was like, what, what? You know, am well, I, I watched tears roll down my mother's eyes. You know, she cried. Yeah. She said, what am I supposed to do? She was flustered. And I didn't like that. That's my mother. You yeah, know, I love my mother. Yeah. And so it hurt me. Yeah. And, um, but I knew this was important. It was important to my mother. Yeah. I knew I had to do it. I had to write that to please her. Pleasing her was more important than yes. the other people not wanting me. Right. And I, I've always been a strong person. And I was a, a strong-willed child, you know. Yeah. Well, <laughs> because and that's I was, a gift also, a gift, because that's what, you know, that's what's carried you through your life, right? Right. Yeah. Exactly. So tell me me. about in the school, I love this part because we talked about it before, but when you were in the the other school, were there a mix of black and white kids or all black? My age. You were the only black child? Yes, the only black child my age. The the others were either younger than me or older. And the older, the older kids, they were still in the black school. They didn't come over to uh, Washington grade school until like third grade. Okay. It took a couple of years for them to come over. So I was in that school for uh, like three years by myself. Now, did you feel anything there, Hyla? Was it like, uh, oh, my God. Oh, yeah. They called me the names. <laughs> yeah. When uh, my mother, when she uh, called to put me in first grade, you know, of course, I was four. My I mean, I was five. My birthday's in October. And so um, we had to meet with the principal. School had already started. We met with the principal at nine o'clock. I remember walking up the big steps and the principal told her that they were going to abide by the law. And if if she if if I had any problems, I was to let her know. And, uh, you know, my mother would write a note and she would take care of it. So the principal, my mother and I, she took us to the first grade and opened the door. We were standing there in the door and I looked at those kids. They were all white. I looked at the kids and I, the first thought was, if you can do this, I can do it. And of course, there was, there were problems. You know, they called me the the N word, the the names and, and all of that. And I just met them one at a time after school and socked him. <laughs> one boy, I chased him. 
I chased him all the way home. And I ran, he ran up the front steps through his door. I ran up his front steps through his door, through the house, chased him out in the backyard and knocked him down. Then I thought his mother came out. What is this? You know? And I thought I should go around the side. And then I thought, what if the gates locked? So I just marched back up the steps, went through the house, out the front door and ran all the way home. <laughs> oh my God. You can see that in a movie. That's adorable. Yeah. Or any, but I mean, it sounds cute. I mean, I don't mean to diminish the experience. I mean, but that shows that spirit that you have, right? Yeah. Um, did that mother go to your mom or they just didn't say anything? No, she didn't know my mother. They lived on the other side of, yeah. of it, like, we got out of school. We went in one direction. The white kids went in the other. Yeah. She, and were you friends? I never heard anything about it. Yeah. Were you friends with this lad after? Did you become Oh, yeah. Friends? We all became friends in about yeah. three, four months. And the ones that yeah. didn't want to talk to me, they didn't. And I yeah. didn't talk to them. But yeah. most of the kids, we got along fine. Yeah. And we were together from first grade to eighth grade. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? and then that's where the power of that of that story comes in that we could well learn in 2021 couldn't we and we don't yeah yeah not all of us I mean we're, I we're just people you know yeah, that's right so I agree with you I, I never I never you know I remember uh we had a, we had a, a black family that lived in uh town when my son was growing up and I mean, he was, they were all friends. I mean, it didn't, I, nobody even entertained the thought of it being anything else, right? It was just kids mm -hmm. playing and whatever. But I don't think I ever, ever thought that my son made that distinction. You know what I mean? Like if he was going to point out um, the black kid, he was going to point out the kid that had the blue shirt on, not because of, his right. color, you know, I mean, that, that in itself is so innocent when you see that, right? You'd love to think that it was yeah. that easy now, but unfortunately... So um, we'll get that um, to that later. But um, so then you go through school. You're quite well educated, Isla. Tell us about that. Well, to tell you the truth, I have my relationship with God. I, God is in heaven. God is, he's all powerful. He knows everything. He's present everywhere. So when, if I had a question about math or uh, history, anything, I said, well, God, you know everything. So how do, how do you do this? Or what's the answer? Or teach me this. Uh, the way the way the teacher's teaching it, I, it's she's going too fast. She's not explaining it right. So I would ask I would ask the Holy Spirit back then. I said, God, but as I got older, I know the Holy Spirit's here in the earth. So I talked to him, but uh, I would ask him to explain it to me so I could get it. So he would, and um, everybody thought I was just so intelligent, but, and, and I'm smart. Okay. But I was taught by God. <laughs> he taught me all kinds of things. All I had to do was ask him. And because I had that experience at three years old of, of uh, asking him, how are you? And he answered me. It never entered my mind that I couldn't have a conversation with him anytime. And I think that's what people do. They block it. They block the answer because they think God doesn't want to talk to them. But it's just like you and I talking. Yeah. He, he does answer you. And so yeah. I would ask him different things. Well, one of the things that it strikes me is, you know, the cornerstone of all groups, um, AA, NA, all, all of these, these uh, groups to help people overcome their challenges. One of the first things is to give your, and you know, some people are uncomfortable with the word God. But, you know, it's like your higher power or whatever it is, is if you give, if you're facing a situation where you're not sure what the answer is, which way to turn, am I doing the right thing? You know, all of that. If you just give it over to your higher power, your God, whatever that is for you, it always comes back to you with the right answer. And I, you mm -hmm. know, it, it's a powerful place to be. I think people get confused when you, when you use that word God, it's like, oh my God, you know, really, you know, all of that, you know, stereotypical religious stuff, right? But it's also very true is that when you, you give it over to Mother Earth or whatever it is, the answer always comes to you, doesn't it? Without fail. Yes. And, you know, I, I hear people use all the different terms and, you know, whatever term it is, it's spiritual. And 
I grew up that way. I, I don't consider myself religious because that puts you in a box. And believe me, I've had my problems in the different churches, different religions. I tried to find God there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was rather difficult. Uh, but uh, I believe in God, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. And I also believe that we are made in his image. Therefore, people talk about our higher selves. Well, of course, when you step into heaven, you're perfect. And that is your higher self. Mm -hmm. We're attaining to who we are already. We're not trying to get anywhere. We receive who we are. And so then when we ask a question, it's about receiving. Yeah. And if you just relax and receive, the answer is there. Whether you say it's heart-centered or whatever people want to say, the answer is there because all answers, all thoughts are there for you to receive. And the, the only question is, is it good or bad? And yeah. if you ask with your intentions of good, you're going to get good. Yeah, so and it's I think really you. Yeah, it's right. And I think that there are times when we have an experience with another person, with a situation, you know, illness, all of that. We really struggle with, you know, here, here quite often is like, you know, especially, you know, when a young child dies, it's like, well, why would God do that? And it's like, but that's not, you're missing the point. It's not like he's sitting up there, he or she or whatever is sitting up there with a big leather bound book with a long white beard saying, well, today I'm going to look at Hyla Jane and mess her life up. That's not what it's about, right? No. Yeah. And I think no. that's where it confuses people as well, right? I think we're always trying to find meaning in any of our experiences. Well, the thing is, is, you know, I had the same question. My sister was nine years old. She died of leukemia. It was so quick. She never lost her hair. I mean, it was just a couple of months. And the thing was, is I never blamed God for anything because my relationship with God, that's not him. And so sickness, I believe the reason that she passed away is that we didn't know enough. And that's how I approached it. God, when I say God is all powerful, there is a healing power that is flowing all the time, just like his answers are in thoughts are flowing to us all the time. It's about receiving. If we, and it's about how we think. If we think that someone cannot be healed of cancer, then that's how you think. Mm -hmm. If they think they can't be healed, if they get into fear and think I'm gonna die, well, they're gonna die. But a child, if their parents think that, then that's what they get. You reap what you sow, you see, Spiritually, you reap what you sow. If you sow healing, you'll get healing. If you believe in a miracle, you'll get a miracle. But if you believe in the doctor or you believe in, in the, the, uh, the count, so many people have died, so you're going to get it and die. Well, that's what you're going to get. But if you fight, it's yeah. about not settling. You have to fight, see, and you, you, if you just case a rah, a rah, and accept whatever comes your way, that's what you're going to get. Yeah, and I, think, if I think that's, and you know, and to your point to that too, is there are a lot of people that pray for, uh, to get better. They pray for whatever it is they want for their, their life. And if it doesn't work out, I mean, that isn't a God thing. That's a human thing. And the other thing is also in our worst experiences, if we're paying attention, those were teaching moments and whether whoever that comes from for someone. Right. But you rarely hear, you know, I, I can't say that about, you know, death of a child. I mean, that's just really sad, but you don't know what that moment was for that person to give to other people to teach about the value of life or life is precious. You know what I mean? Like all of those mm -hmm. things, right? Instead of going to the spot where you become the victim, right? Right. And the thing is, is, is I guess my point was that people, if something happens and people think there's no solution, they give into it. Yes. And there's always, there's always a solution. Yeah. There's always a way out. And so, we have to expand our thinking to know there's a way out and pull that in mm -hmm. well, because God so, doesn't kill kids. Yeah, of course <laughs> not. Of course not. I agree. 
And I think that's the, that shows when that happens, when you're blaming. I mean, we look for blame as human beings. That's what we do. We're, we're looking for meaning making, I guess. And if I know in a case here in town, there was a young lad that, uh, that died and it was very sad. The entire town was behind this family and he, he didn't make it. But what he brought to his, his class was this intent. I mean, even when they graduated years later, he was part of that graduating class, even though he had passed on. But the gift he gave to those kids, I think that they, they felt love for another young, they, they felt that helplessness when he passed on. But they really feel, still feel that love that he brought all of them in. You know what I mean? So that was kind of the sense making. Yeah, it doesn't, I remember saying, well, maybe, maybe he was given that journey because, and oh my gosh, I got just nailed against the wall for saying something like that. So when you are, you know, so rock solid in, in your beliefs like that, did it ever come up against you where people kind of used it against you or just kind of rolled their eyes or whatever? Like you have to have a certain amount of strength to stand in that that deep faith and that truth. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, you do. I, I've I've come up against it my entire life. Believe me, I it's 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 constant. It, and I don't care what arena what arena I'm in. I can be at church at work, <laughs> you know, in at dinner with with uh, people. It doesn't matter. It's it uh, it's the same thing all the time. Because, like I had a, my job, I graduated from college six months early. I was searching for a job. Well, even though I was a college graduate, I was hired at uh, Pacific Bell as a clerk. <laughs> and a lot of people would say, well, that's the only job available. And, and this one woman, she was a clerk for 20 years. Huh? There's no way I would sit there and be a clerk for 20 years. And my thing was, I have to, to move up. And back then, it was up to your supervisor before they instituted where uh, they gave you classes and you could kind of move up yourself. Well, I ended up in a job that was, quote, a man's job, running jumper wire, climb, climbing ladders, um, you know, telephone wire type thing. Then I went to a communication technician, and this is all God helping me pass tests and uh, different things I had to do. And uh, I was changing circuit packs and I cut over analog offices to digital offices when the cell phone came in. And so, of course, the men gave the women, there were just a few of us, a hard time because they didn't want us there. Where I could care less if they wanted me there, just like I could care less if the first graders wanted me there, you know. <laughs> And it didn't matter to me. I, I had had too much experience by then. And I, you know, I'm in, I'm in my twenties. Right. And so uh, I was in that job for, for, uh, I retired uh, after 32 years and I was in that particular job for 23 years. And it was guff the whole time. Well, did I care? No, because my mother always taught us, you know, don't let anyone take money out of your pocket or food off of your table. And so I earned my paycheck. They didn't. So as far as God is concerned, uh, I was in this one central office, uh, C Street downtown, San Diego. And in that central office, there were three different types of machines. There was the old step-by-step. Um, -step. There was the original ESS electronic switching system. And then there was the new 5E, the, the digital so in that office, you had to learn how to work on all three machines. So no one wanted to go there because the other offices only had one type of machine. So if you wanted to get out of C Street, someone had to come and replace you. So this guy, he's, I told him, I said, I'm ready to go up in the central office, you know, because I always, you know, I would do a job for a while. I'd get bored because I like to learn things, new things. And I wanted to go and, and uh, learn translations in the central office. And he said, you'll never get out of here because nobody wants to come here. And I looked at him. I said, it's just as easy for me to get out of here as it, as it is for me to stay here. And he looked at me and went, yeah, right. So I went back in the equipment and I, I prayed and I, I asked God, I said, God, I want to go up to the central office. 
And uh, I just thank you for making a way for me to get there because you don't pray for things you already have. You have to believe you have something. And so you don't have to pray because he's given us all things. So you don't pray for anything, you receive it. And so within two weeks, I got a phone call from the supervisor up in the central office. And she said, we need someone to come up and do testing. Would you like to come up and do testing? I said, yes. I went to the, cent- to the main uh, office to do testing. I never went back to C Street. And when I walked in, the Holy Spirit said, you'll be here until you retire. I said, okay. And I was in translations until I retired. So, I mean, that's incredible. And the word that I always think whenever I talk to you is strength. I mean, you have that strength. There's not a, not a ton of people, Hyla, that have that strength to be uh, so steadfast in their belief that whatever's going to come to you will come to you because it's supposed to. And if you want it, you can ask for it and you can get it. And I mean, you you kind of make it sound like it's really easy to do it. <laughs> I know people tell me that. Yeah, yeah. It's Believe like, me, it's not so easy. It, it, it is not so <laughs> you easy. You got to work on it. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I just had a recent experience. So um, I had to move into town when I got divorced because we had to sell our house. And I always wanted to be back in the little place where the little hamlet where I love. It's my favorite place. It's my favorite place ever. And so I always asked for it to come back, to come back. But it wasn't lost on me that I had to work my way back. And it just happened to me in December of, of 2020. And I got I got my dream. So it's like, so don't tell me you can't have what you want because you can, but you have to work for it. It's not free. And I think that's the right. other thing that people... You got to have that strength to know that you're moving forward. You got to keep your eye on the ball and all of that. And you have to be realistic about it as well. So, yeah, I I love that about you. You just have this really lovely, quiet strength. Let's add on to that. You've worked your way up. You had a good career. Where do you have that? Are you married? Do you have kids, Hyla? Yes. uh, I'm going to tell you my... I've, I've failed a few times before I gave oh, up and let okay, God, <laughs> uh, <laughs> before I gave up and I said, okay, God, if you pick the guy, he's got to be right. And so he did. It's a whole miracle story, which we don't have time to go into today, but I'm telling you, um, Martin is a great guy. We've been married now 16 years. Wow. And uh, I have two daughters, previous marriage. They're, they're older. <laughs> Hopefully you can't tell how old I yeah, am I by looking say, at it. No, I can't. I can't. I, what I don't, I'm guessing, you know, 45, 50. <laughs> but, oh my gosh. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. But the thing I have is, four grandkids. Oh my gosh. See, and isn't that the yeah. best gift? Isn't that the best gift in the world? I've got two and uh, yeah. you know, that is the gold. That is the gift. That is the candy for sure. And you're right. I mean, we all have had those moments where and when you're talking earlier about giving into Oh my God, well, I guess if they tell me I'm going to stay here and I can never get out, I guess I never will. And I mean, I think that that applies across the board to your personal life too. It's like, okay, well, if you want to stay in this crappy relationship where you you don't feel good and you're not listening to God or your intuition or whatever it is, then that's exactly, you're going to bring that to yourself. And I mean, to your point, exactly. Um, that's right. Yeah. And I'm happy that now tell me, are your daughters um, well? Are they well and successful? Do they get some of Mama Bear's strength? Oh, yeah. yeah. They're, they're, they're totally different. Um, one's a, a writer, speaker. I'm trying to get her out there more. She's, uh, she's the, the closet speaker, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, very, she was a reader, Kids used to throw dirt on her books because they wanted her to come and play, and she would rather read. My other daughter's a perfectionist. She's, you know, everything has its place. Everything in its place, everything has its place, you know. Very uh, intelligent. They both have two two children. Um, Actually, the oldest one's 23. (laughs) My oldest grandchild's 23. Oh, yeah. yeah. See, I don't even believe that. I bet, I'm telling you right now, anyone who's listening to this podcast is now going to the show notes and looking at your picture going, what? <laughs> <laughs> so you've had this lovely, you know, the strength and this journey. It's carried you through. So you've had this great career. You found, you know, the one for you. Your kids are doing well. Let's add on to the other thing where you have written a number of books that are 
just so powerful. The one that sticks out for me is your book, The Miraculous Realm of Heaven on Earth. You know, one of the things that you stay that that you stayed in this book is that, you know, throughout your life, no matter what happened, you always have that that deep rooted faith that it was all going to just work for you. That's incredible strength, Hyla. Yeah. Yeah. My mother, our mother told us all, all the time. She said, no matter what happens, trust God. And that carried me through my life, the good times, the bad times, uh, because I knew that God would give me the answer. God would work it out. And it just, you know, lack or somebody treating me bad or whatever. I never retaliated because I knew God would get them. (laughs) One guy burned up his Mercedes. I never touched the car. Oh, darn. I mean, you just... (laughs) I, I never did anybody bad or wrong. It's not that I was never upset, but I did not retaliate yeah. because I'm God's child and he takes yeah. care of me. And there, and you know, in a, in a way, those, those experiences, he's taking care of them too. That's their journey. They, if they're not paying attention, right. Is that, and that's a very, very strong place to, to be in where you don't retaliate because it is easy to retaliate. It's mm-hmm. even more difficult not to retaliate. Not to. Exactly. Um, so what I'll do is when, when we do the show notes, I'm going to list all the books. You have a book, Daddy's Little Girl. How many books do you have? I have, I have three, Daddy's Little Girl. I have uh, Your Daddy's So Big. All of these were given, given through either a dream or open vision from wow. God, where the words are just out in the room in front of me there. Yeah. And then he would download exactly what, how he wanted the book structured and what he wanted, wanted in it. Mm-hmm. The miraculous realm of heaven on earth. I woke up and there was a puppet standing there looking at me. Now I'm not asleep, I'm awake. And this oh. puppet is standing there in front of me. His head is down. He's dirty. He's despondent. Then he lifts his head and he looks directly at me and very sad. Then his eyes get really big, like, like round he, because he became aware of something. Then they narrowed down because he was determined. He was upset. All of a sudden, he reached up with these big scissors and he cut the strings over his head and he stood tall. Then he disappeared. When he disappeared, the words, the miraculous realm of heaven on earth appeared in the room out in front of me. And I knew it was a book. So I asked God what it was and he taught it to me for a whole year. And then it took nine months to write it. It came out last June. Mm-hmm. Very powerful wow. book. That gives me yeah. um, goosebumps when you're talking about that. It's like, oh my gosh. And I mean, I am, you know, for sure. So I'm going to tell you my experience with God is when I was 25, I found myself with child. I was not married. And I was, uh, I mean, I have a whole backstory to, you know, a different different kind of trauma than, you know, what you've dealt with, but still trauma nonetheless. And I remember lying on the table. I was, I went in to have an abortion and um, I was laying on the table, Hyla, and the room filled with a voice and said, do not do this. So I actually got off that table and I went home and I am so grateful. And I celebrate that little man's life. He's 33 now. And I, you know, I, I am so grateful that he spoke to me that day. So yeah, that is my, that is my experience with God for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. And oh, I mean, I'm just so grateful <laughs> that I didn't do it. I, you know, so we need to, I don't know if we need to talk to this, but I feel like we do because you have such a quiet strength about you is let's talk about this whole fricking racism BS. You know, we were talking earlier before we recorded, you know, I live in an area of Canada where I believe there's not a lot of racism, but I think there is when we we're talking about our indigenous communities. And I just, you know, I got to say, I don't know how, how we're still having this stupid conversation about who cares. But, you know, we were talking about the Black Lives Matter. And there were a lot of people that got their back up and saying all lives matter. Yes, of course, all lives matter. But you and I have never walked down the street ever. And had to worry about A, because I was a woman, B, because of the color of my skin. 
Can you speak to that? It, it's still real, isn't it? Yes. You know, and the thing is, is if you look back through the years, when, say, the, the, the government, the presidents or the committees, all they've ever done was say, we'll discuss it. And each time, each time there's a protest, they'll come together, well, let's discuss it. But nothing was done. Nothing was changed. And it's just like first grade. Those kids, racism has to be taught. What, what did they know about it? You put two little kids together and they play. They're not yeah. thinking about what, what color they are. They're yeah. playing. Yeah. And so it's been passed on through the years. The same thing we're dealing with today, we were dealing with in the 60s. We were dealing with it when, when uh, desegregation, she can't come here, she's black. <laughs> you know, my goodness. And yeah. so nowadays, it's like, of course, all lives matter. But that's not the point. I have this friend, she's white, she's, she's older, much older than I am. And she thought racist, there was no such thing as racism anymore. And I said, are you crazy? You know, of course there is. I, I deal with it all the time. And so my example to her was uh, when you walk into a restaurant, do you look around to see who's there or do you just go and sit down? And she said, I just go and sit down. I said, well, when I walk into a restaurant, I scan the room. And if they want me, if they sit me beside someone, I, I look to see who it is or I feel them or I watch their expression. I said, you wouldn't even think to do that. Yeah. You know, and the thing is, is that when people protest, it's because we're tired. Yeah, you know, of course. slavery ended how long ago? And it only changed forms. Why am I a college graduate hired as a clerk when th there are, are jobs that are there that I should? Well, also, not only that, because you're a woman as well. That added on to it. That was addition. Yeah. yeah. Black, a woman, yeah. you know, out, I don't, as they say, take, take any mess. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in a nice way, in a yeah. nice way. Yeah, that's you know, my mother told us, my mother always told us, don't start trouble, just finish it. You yeah. know, yeah. don't don't sit up there and get hit and don't do anything. Yeah. And so the racism nowadays, a lot of it when I was coming along was in your face. Now a lot of times it's it's behind your back. It's it's hidden. Like in California, it's hidden, but it's there. Mm -hmm. um, I'm in Texas now. People just don't talk to you. If the ones that want to, they do, kind of like first grade. They do. The ones that don't, they act like you're invisible. Yeah, but, that's the part where it's so foreign to me because I just would never, I wouldn't even think to, I wasn't raised a racist. I mean, I didn't raise my, my son to be a racist. And so for me, it's like, uh, sure, I, I don't see it. But that in itself is dismissive too, isn't it? Because that's when you become part of the problem is when you think, well, you know, I try really hard to be aware of all of these things, even though it's not so rampant in the area that I live in. I'm not saying it's not in Canada because I know it is. But if you don't advocate, advocate for someone in a, in a situation, you are part of the problem. That's where they're talking about white privilege, right? Right. Because, uh, you know, it's... The thought doesn't come. See, it's, it's about how you think. The yeah. thought does not come. If you're white, the thought does not come to you that you can't say something or do something or challenge the police because, you know, they're not going to do anything. They're okay, okay. Like storming the Capitol. Did you see any black people storming the Capitol? Yeah. No, I didn't. <laughs> well, it's interesting. It's interesting you say that because it was noted on several broad news broadcasts that had that been blacks storming oh, the Capitol, there would have been bloodshed big time. Absolutely. Dogs, hoses, helicopters. Yeah, All kind sure. of police. Come for on. For sure. For sure. You know. I, I don't feel that you want to take on that that cause. I mean, you, you've done your your life well. Are you going to be the one, you know, the Rosa Parks kind of, so to speak, of 2021 that's going to... Like, where's the switch for us to to get it. You know what I mean? Well, hey, I was the Rosa Parks at, yeah, at four grade, years old sitting behind four. the driver. Yeah, grade one, that's right. Yeah, that's right. But yeah. And then the funny thing about it, 
the funny I, thing about it, my main, my main name is White. W-H-Y-T-E. Oh, yeah, I know. That's... And in first grade, they said it's in alphabetical order. So I had oh to sit God. in the back of the room. Anyway. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But, well, you know, I, I don't. Uh, my mother didn't raise us to be uh, racist. We, she no. said everybody's the same, just yeah. different colors. Yeah. There's good people and bad people in yes. every race. Absolutely. And so that's how that's how I've always looked at it. I've always been around white people. I've never really been around. Every time I try to go around uh, black people, it's like, it's like, I don't know. I, I try to relate. And even my kids tell me, come and watch this black movie so you'll learn something. <laughs> well, but that speaks <laughs> to I don't it. think about it. Yeah, exactly. And, and as you shouldn't, and I wish we could all be like that, but that speaks to that too. And I've heard it, you know, where, if it's exactly what you just said, it's like, well, actually, I, I probably should hang around more uh, so I understand it more. But then if you don't, then you're accused of not uh, of being white, even though you're black. Yeah. Like, it's just so ridiculous. Exactly. It's it ridiculous. Ridiculous. The, the only thing you can do is be you. Yeah, you know, that's and, right. if, and if God tells you or, or like your, your, your intuition tells you to speak to someone or do something, then do it. Yeah. But but don't do things just because everybody else is doing yeah. it. Yeah. Well, but then don't avoid mentality. don't avoid things either because yeah. things that are in your face you have to deal with it or else it'll be in your face worse later. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And I mean, and that's where it's gotten to is is we're not. I mean, it's definitely better, or is it? I don't know. I'd like to think things are better. Well, obviously. I don't think I don't think it's too much better we we have like the block we live on here the people straight across the street they're really nice i mean everybody on this block is white except for one family which we never see because they have a business the people straight across the street are nice the people right next door are racist <laughs> the husband yeah. is a nice guy the wife the kids we've been here 14 15 years now and uh, my grandkids would come by and say, let's play the whites against the blacks. You oh know, they're, they're great races. They're not, they've tried to call the police on our kids for turning their water off. When our kids don't even go over there, their own kids were turning their water yeah. off. And yeah. so my daughter went over there and said, do we have a problem? And, the, and oh. since she confronted them, they said, no, we don't have a problem. But they don't speak. We ignore them like they're not there. And so you know, the, that's, you know, yeah, and it's that's very much alive. Do. Yeah. Like why point? Yeah, it is. I, I agree with you. I mean, why poke the bear? Cause you're not going to change someone's views of anything anyway. You really mm -mm. are not right. No. That's where the God, the God thing comes in. It's like, well, he's going to show you exactly how ridiculous you are at some point in your life. And maybe right. not, I don't know. Maybe they don't need to, but you know, I mean, one of the best books ever written, and I'm sure you'll agree is the help where it was so, I remember reading it and it was so powerful. And then I remember watching it on the plane. I don't know where I was going. And I was literally sobbing on the plane. Like I, people were probably like, oh dear, what's wrong with her? <laughs> but it was such a, a beautiful depiction of how utterly ridiculous the whole thing was. I mean, at least, you know, now I, I hope that, I mean, I think it's going to be generations, Hila, before we're all we're all viewed as we're just on the same, you think, you know, in a way, I think COVID has done that where it's like, we're all on this together. There is nobody that may or may not survive this. You know what I mean? Like it does, COVID doesn't care. Right. And so, I mean, if you're paying attention to it, I suppose, I don't know. I just think just from your beautiful viewpoint, you could write this book, but I mean, it's not the first one that would be written. And really, do you want to take that on? I mean, you've done your, your bit. You've, you've walked across town and you've been the only one on the bus. You've done all that. It must be exhausting. Well, sometimes it is. Sometimes it is. You have to have thick skin and I'm still growing mine. You know, it gets to me some, sometimes, yeah. especially if it affects my grandkids. Of course. But uh, if you can imagine. Oh, I can't but imagine. <laughs> you know, they are the candy to parenthood. And man, we we are different people with our grandchildren than we were with our yeah. children. But man, you mess with mama bear and she's a grandma. Oh boy, you are in trouble. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I've yeah. been to the school many times. <laughs> I don't doubt it. And so, but but even even with even with that, going in there, you know, people people think, people think, just because you're black, you're going to come in hollering and screaming and kicking yeah. over a table. 
Yeah. They don't they don't think <laughs> that you have any sense. And yeah. I can be hotter than a, a poker coming out of a fireplace and talk to you very, very plain and calm. Yeah. And that's the power. you can tell by the way I'm talking to you that I mean every word I say. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. things get turned around. But if you go in there hollering and screaming, then it's just going to make it worse. And well, it, it exactly. makes no sense. Yeah. Talk about poking the bear. And I mean, and that is a thing, and, and that's a lesson to do with just being human in general. If you're going to go in, um, you know, I, I did a podcast with a guy out of Australia who's fascinating to me. And that's what he does. He works with the police forces and stuff. And he talks about red brain and blue brain. And if you got two people in red brain, nothing is going to be good that comes out of that. So if you are the one that's got the blue brain, you're probably going to prevail because the other one's just out of control. I mean, that's just a, that's a human thing. It has nothing to do mm-hmm. with any other thing. But hi, La. Thank you so much for joining me today. Like, I, I find you uh, utterly fascinating. I do. I love that strength about you. I love your story. I hope you have another book in the works. And, uh, you know, honestly, you could almost do a screenplay. <laughs> and I, You know, I would love to. Daddy's little girl, that would be, oh, my goodness. Oh, it would be. So go for it. What, <laughs> what I've thought about it. <laughs> yeah, I think you should do it. I think you should do it. Thank you for joining me today, Hila. It's been a really lovely chat with you. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. Yeah, it was fun. I can't wait. This COVID thing's over and we can meet. And I know. Yeah. <laughs> it would be great. <laughs> it would be awesome. Thanks. You have been listening to Sharing Stories with Helen Rose, and that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to Sharing Stories with Helen Rose. To learn more about Helen's journaling retreats, speaking engagements, and life coaching, or to sign up for her newsletter, please visit HelenRose.ca. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why is it so hard to make a buck? (laughs) I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating one million dollars in annual revenue. So, here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven-module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand, and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.